We are so thankful you decided to take time out of your day to listen to this sermon. Central to all of our services is gospel-centered teaching led by our senior pastor, Dr. Jeff Warren. Together, we are a church that seeks to follow Jesus every day, and we hope you are drawn closer to Christ as a result of this message. Hey, I wonder, if you ever, like me, feel like there's so many questions coming at you um, all day long, every day, and it's like a rapid fire. Questions coming, you got to have answers to the questions. And, and I mean, it's, it's, it's what's the next move? Where do I get the best health care? Uh-oh, it's tax season. What's my best, best financial decisions? What about this relational challenge? This constantly, questions coming at you. Does all the noise, everything in your mind, does it sometimes seem like your life just sounds something like this? There we go. So, yes. Now, everybody, thank you. Everybody knows, you know where that's from, right? Theme for Jeopardy. I don't know if you're like me. I've always kind of wanted to be on Jeopardy um, because I would love to win some money on Jeopardy and then, of course, give it, you know, to the church, give it all uh, to the Lord. But, you know, we actually have a member of our church. She's now living in Connecticut. She's here often. But a uh, former member, Deborah Beams, um, is in our orchestra. She was on Jeopardy. And a lot of us followed it and tracked it. She won a couple of days on Jeopardy. Um, you know, won some money. You're not going to get rich unless you continue on the show. But, uh, you know, sometimes life does feel like that. And the constant kind of tune in your mind is, uh-oh, and, and, and as if all the world's watching, and, I gotta, and you've got to make a decision quick. I don't know if you're like me, just constantly bombarded with questions. How will I be safe? How will I be secure for the future? Who's the best doctor? What's the best decision for me to make in this situation? Oh my goodness, our family is so uh, messed up. We've got so many decisions to make. And sometimes you're faced with really life changing decisions. But we all wrestle with, change, with, with, with questions every day. I saw a bumper sticker uh, recently. It said, trees are the answer. I thought, I don't even know what the question is. I don't, I, where does paper come from? Where's a good place to find shade in the summertime? Trees are the answer. Friends, listen, we have come to a point in our culture, in this cultural moment, we don't even know what the questions are anymore. We don't even know what to ask anymore. Francis Schaeffer, a theologian from the past century, he said this, modern man has his feet firmly planted in midair. When you turn from the authority of God's word, When you decide you're going to live on your own, we've talked about this just walking through Genesis. If you decide, I'm going to, I will decide what's right or wrong. I will determine, I have knowledge from the tree of good good and evil. I'll determine what's right and wrong. Then then it's anybody's guess, right? And, And so what I want to talk about today, see, those of us who know the Lord, and I'm not going to assume all of us do in a crowd this size, but we would all say, I think you would join with me to say, I don't know what the question is, but I know this. He is the answer. Jesus is the answer. 
Now, for, for those who are unbelievers, or maybe even some of us today, that, that sounds almost, it sounds kind of, kind of pithy or anecdotal or impractical, maybe even archaic in our culture today. He is the answer. Jesus is the answer. So what does it mean that Jesus is the answer? Do you realize that throughout his ministry, Jesus was asked 307 questions? Now, guess how many he answered? Of the 307, how many questions did he answer explicitly? 307 questions. He answered three. Three. And he often would ask a question when someone asked him a question, right? He, he asked 183 questions, but he only answered three explicitly. Because often they were trying to trap him, and the question they were asking, he wants us to figure out own the question ourselves. And then when final jeopardy comes, what's going to be your answer? And what I want to talk about today is the fact that Jesus really is the answer. Turn to Mark chapter 12, and I want you to look with me uh, at Mark 12. We were there last week, and I'm going to stay in that passage, but I'm going to turn us to um, Psalm 110 here in a moment because we're looking at the word spoken by the word. We're looking at this, this month how Jesus drew from Scripture in this year of the Bible. All Scripture points to him. And he points this out today. We're going to look at three questions. You're going to have to move fast with me. I'm not going to be able to read all things. We're just going to highlight some uh, questions that were asked of him. And you're going to know most of these if you've been in God's Word a bit. Last week, the question came, where does your authority come from? And Jesus asked them a question. These were the scribes, religious leaders of the day. We're going to see them here today. We're going to see the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Herodians. All these different groups were essentially political groups, religious political groups of the day. They ask him the question, where does your authority come from? He says, well, you tell me, where does John's authority come from? John the Baptist. And they wouldn't answer him because they said, if we, if we say God, then we're going to align with him. And uh, if we say not God, then we're the crowd. The crowds are starting to really believe this guy and we're going to get in trouble. It's not time to pounce on him yet. And so he answers the question, but through a parable. He doesn't answer it explicitly. And then he ends with saying, the cornerstone that you have rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And he's pointing to himself. You're going to kill the son who comes to the vineyard uh, there and the workers, the tenants, kill him. And then it says they didn't ask any more questions because they perceived that he was talking about them. So he answered the question, but not explicitly you see, the main question they're asking in this final week of his life, as we lean towards Easter, is the question really, who are you? That was the question throughout his ministry. That's the key question in our lives. It's the one that Jesus asked, who do you say I am? That's the key question. He is the answer. Who do you say I am? Because you see, the central point of Jesus' teaching, think about this. What was the central message of his teaching? Now, I've kind of set you up a little bit, but some would say, well, love, I think. Probably the primal message, love. Or care for others. Forgive. Care for the poor. Listen, he was not placed on the cross because he talked about loving each other. Now, love can seem that radical. Grace is that radical. But he was put on death row for a moment and then killed because of who he claimed to be. He claimed to be the one we have sung about all morning long. The promised Messiah to come. The root of David, 
The one who would come, and we're going to see this today, and in Mark chapter 12, he promises to be the Messiah by answering three questions. And so he's saying, I have rule and reign over every area of life. These three questions come in the form of, uh, he is the answer to our politics. I'm going to go there a little bit. Sorry. Not sorry. Um, He is the answer to our plans. And he's the answer to our struggle to prioritize our lives. And so I want us to look at three questions we're going to find. So you're there in Mark chapter 12. And uh, here's how this goes. In Mark 12, and then we'll come back. First, you see in the first portion of this chapter, the parable that we looked at last week. Next, he asks a question about uh, what belongs to Caesar. You may have heard that famous line, you render under Caesar what Caesar's and to God's, what's God's? So those questions are asked by the Pharisees and the Herodians. The Pharisees, the Herodians, the Sadducees, this is important to note, the, uh, all of these different groups are, are, and then the scribes will come. They're all asking the same question. Like, really, who are you? But they've all been asking, as we all do in our day, we wouldn't phrase it this way, how will the kingdom come? What is the best way to live our lives? How will this kingdom come? And this is what all these religious leaders were asking. The Pharisees said, it's going to come through strict adherence to, 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 uh, to the law. That's how it's going to come. Get everybody on track, like us, and then the kingdom is set. That's how this works. And then the Sadducees, they come along. They don't believe in the resurrection. They don't believe that God really is personally involved in our lives. They say it's going to be through strict adherence to the Torah and to temple worship, specifically. Now, interestingly, in 70 AD, the Sadducees vanish from the planet because the temple is destroyed. The Herodians believed that the the kingdom is going to come by a kind of co-opting of government, particularly Herod's line, a kind of religious nationalism. That's how it's going to come. So we've got to get our man in, in in the place of leadership. We've got to get our person there. Then the kingdom will come. And then we see the scribes. We see, gosh, you have the zealots who even believe that it they come into play that last week of Jesus' life, Barabbas, who believed it's going to be a takeover of earthly established power. It's going to be an anarchy, and we're going to take over and rule the reign ourselves. We see all of this in our day. This is why the Bible is more relevant than today's news feed. God's word continues to speak, and so Jesus is going to answer all of these questions. But before we get there, or I should say this, the way he's going to land All of this, after all of these questions, these conversations take place, in the latter part of Mark 12, it's in verse 35 through 37. It says here, Jesus taught in the temple. He said, how can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? So Jesus, the Messiah, was was known as the son of David. Now, they would not have identified him as such. He was identifying himself as such. David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? How is he the son of David? And David calls him Lord. No one would have done this in the first century. No man would have said that of a son. And the great throng heard him gladly. The crowd loved it. 
I want you to turn to Psalm 10. I'm going to set this as the backdrop of these questions that are going to be asked of Jesus, and then we're going to go back and look at each one and apply them to our lives as the Spirit speaks through his word. Psalm 110, with one finger there in Mark 10. You're going to get back there in just a moment. You saw the first verse there. Jesus is making the point, and all of these religious leaders knew this psalm, by the way. Unlike us, they knew it. They knew the psalm. They knew what it was about. They knew the context. This is Psalm of David. It says in verse 1, the Lord says to my Lord. Now, here's what he's saying. Yahweh is the first word. The Lord says to my Lord, Adon or Adonai, says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. This, this right hand, the place of power, all authority is giving, given to this one who is to come. Now watch this. David's not speaking of himself. He's speaking of his Lord, one who will come. David knew there was a greater leader to come. The Lord sends forth from Zion your, the Lord's, mighty scepter. From Zion. He's a heavenly ruler. This is not David. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Notice he's in the midst of his enemies ruling. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments from the womb of the morning and the dew of your youth that will, will, will be yours. This is, he, he's saying there's coming a day when people are going to serve and, and, and obey this one to come. And they're going to be in holy garments. This is a way of saying they've been made pure, made righteous, covered by his grace. And this reference to the morning and the dew and youth to come is a reference to resurrection. Wake up. They're going to be resurrected, raised up. The Lord has sworn, verse 4, and will not change his mind. He has set this in motion. You're a priest forever, this new ruler to come. After the order of Melchizedek, who's kind of the high priest of all priests, out of the story of Abraham. He's the ruler, and he's also a priest. And the Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings of the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpse. He will, he will have ultimate justice that will come through him. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He's going to be ruler over all things. We know him as the king of kings. He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head in his humanity. He will be lifted up in his humility. Philippians 2, 9 comes to mind. Christ, the one from heaven, comes and gives himself, serving others, as we, as we read about earlier, serving all of us all the way to the cross. So what we see here, Jesus lands all of these questions that I want us to look at with this. He says, look, why does, why does he say he's the Lord? The Lord, Yahweh, to my Lord. Why does David say his son, one who will come, is actually his Lord. Well, I want us to see today that Jesus is the answer. You might say, well, of course he is, but how does this play out in real life? And here's where I want the Spirit to speak to us. The first thing I want you to see, and I'm asking in the form of questions, I'm putting you in the jeopardy seat. I'm going to ask you some questions today. Jesus asked us questions. And here's the question I want to wrestle with. The first one, because we see it right here in front of it. It's the one that's being asked of him. Is Jesus the answer to our political problems? Is he truly? So, so we'll take uh, political problems for 200, Alec. All right, here we go. 
Many people have turned to, to politics. That's what they did in Jesus' day. We're prone to do that. We, we tend to lean towards a political party, one or the other, or we're libertarian, or who knows what we are. We're independent. We're good grief. We got socialism as an option. Okay, we got it all across the board in our day. And many people think the kingdom is going to come through politics. And this was the question that, that uh, arises here in Mark chapter 12, verse 13. The Pharisees, the Herodians, who I mentioned, came to him. And they asked the question. Again, we're going to have to buzz through each one of these uh, for the sake of time. But, but you may know the story. And I'll, I'll hit it at the, at the most important points. Why put me to the test, he says, in verse 15. They have malicious intent, and he knows it. Bring me a denarius. You know this when they ask, uh, shall we, uh, who, who, do, who do we pay taxes to? Do we give taxes to Caesar or do we not? They're trying to trap him. And so he says, well, I put me to the test. Bring me a denarius. And they bring him a coin. And he says, let me look at it. They brought him one. Whose likeness is on it? Whose icon, image, and inscription is this? Caesar's. Jesus says, okay, render, that's the word payback to Caesar, the things that are his, and, and pay back, give to God the things that are God. And they're kind of stunned. And we preached on this, this text before, but... We know what Caesar wants, right? This is tax season. We know what our taxes are. Um, unless they change the laws on you, by the way, midstream. And then you, sorry, getting too personal. Um, then, then you have to sometimes pay what you didn't anticipate to pay, right? But we know what we've got to pay. The question is not what do we pay Caesar, but what do we pay God? And if God is God and he's over all things, how do you answer that question? That's what Jesus wants us to see. We know what you pay Caesar. Those in authority placed over you, you, you do what needs to be done, but you give God what is his. God owns everything. Now it comes into how will I spend money today? What will I buy? How will my priorities of purchasing, how will that determine who and what I worship? You see, he's getting right to the heart of the matter. He says, you know, it's not going to be through politics that the kingdom is going to come. And so he points us to Psalm 110. He says, because there's a ruler who's over all things and his reign and rule is coming. And it's not like you think it's going to be. Many of us, if we're honest, we truly do turn to politics, a particular party to say, that's how all things are going to be right in the world. And we, we're so passionate, but we know that it's become an idol when we're more passionate about that than we are about sharing the love of Christ, about sharing the gospel. People get more angry about politics than anything else. And our deepest emotions point us to our idols. And, and instead, we should be sharing, loving others. You know what's interesting? Every political party, every nation will come and go. Think about that. And even political historians talk about the big switch. From 1896 till 2000-ish, it's as if the Democratic Party and the Republican Party have switched, have flipped over the course of time. Even parties shift and change. Rulers come and go. And, and Jesus is essentially, he's saying throughout his teaching, he is, he is his own political party. That's what Psalm 110 says. He rules over 
everything and everybody. But we don't have David's perspective. David says there's a king coming, there's a ruler, and he's not just a king, he's a priest. He's pointing people to worship God. He's greater than any politician or leader, any nation. His nation, his dominion is universal. And that's the kingdom we belong to, friends. That, that is the one we follow. One day the national anthem will be sung one last time. And some of you are thinking, yeah, okay, when Christ returns. Maybe, maybe not. One day, the stars and stripes will be let down from one last flagpole one last time. One day, one last president will leave the White House one last time. And I'm upsetting some of us just by saying that. But it's true. I love our country. Praise God that I live in America We're going to fight for our freedoms. We're going to vote our conscience. But I'm looking forward to the day when our great republic is replaced by the greater monarchy. Where Christ is ruling. The returned and ruling, reigning Savior. Resurrected Savior is ruling over all the earth. That's the kingdom we belong to. That's the kingdom that I belong to. And you do too if you know Christ. Ours is just a placeholder. For a coming kingdom and the rule and reign of Christ. This is what all the scripture points to. It's why in Psalm 110, it says he's coming from Zion. He, he, he has a mighty scepter. He's a heavenly ruler. He's going to rule in the midst of his enemies. Even now he's ruling. He's given us holy garments. This is the point. We now are advancing, ushering in the kingdom of God. This is what Jesus is doing. And as we live for him, he clothes us already in his grace. We're going to appear with him in glory. We win. You know, his contemporaries couldn't categorize him. And so 2,000 years later, why should we think we can do the same? Our pledge is to the Lord. It's to him and to him alone. We love our enemies, even our political ones. But we've got to live in the tension in the present world and, and cultural moment we find ourselves in. I've been accused of being way too conservative regarding issues of life, sanctity of the unborn, gender, sexual issues. I've been accused of being way too liberal when it comes to, to, to matters of, of racial reconciliation, social justice, immigration. And I've got to live in the tension because we follow the way of the kingdom of Christ. And that's not determined by any single political group, certainly in our nation. It's hard to... It's hard to apply what we see here, these different religious leaders, to our own context. The point is way above and beyond that. We're campaigning for him. We, we, are, we are giving to his campaign. <laughs> That's what we're doing. It's why here we have this scripture translation project uh, that we, we just seek to bring the scripture to those in Southeast Asia. And I hope that you are praying through how you're giving above and beyond your regular giving to the church. Stacy and I have done so. We have already determined what we're giving. And we've given. And we're so thrilled. And we're joy, just joy-filled to be able to part of that. Our staff is giving. I hope that you're, you're doing that. We're going to announce on Easter Sunday where we are in that project. We also, you'll see in your bulletin today, we're continuing to advance the platform of this, our great Savior, Jesus. The, the Messiah who's ruling over the hearts of his people 
And so we're asking the question, who's your one? Who are you going to invite? Who are you seeking to lead? Because there are lost sheep on both sides of the political aisle. There are lost sheep all around us. And he's called us to win them to him. So what happens there in Mark chapter 12, verse 28 through 34? They, they ask him about the greatest commandment. They think we're going to get him here. Let's go to the jugular. Let's go to the final jeopardy question. This will nail him. He's going to lose everything here. And it's not just money that's at stake. It's his life that's at stake. They say, what's the greatest commandment? He says, you're going to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you're going to love others as yourself. How do we love God? By loving others. That's what he's saying. Loving God is directly tied to the way that you love others. So this then challenges our priorities. How can I love others with my time? How can I love others with my money? How can I love others in my schedule? And even today, how can I love others? That's the question we're asking constantly. And so these three questions that he asked, I'm back. These three questions. <laughs> political question. Plans for the future question. Priorities. We, we prioritize our lives around Christ if we truly believe as it says in Psalm 110 and a hundred other places, that he is the one. Verse 2, the Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Lord, rule in our hearts today. We're asking him to rule. And we are now, those who have received Christ, are covered by his grace. We're, we're now covered in clothes of righteousness. We are forgiven and we can live forgiven and we can live in such a way that we can love others, be salt and light in the world. And this is what he's calling us to today. Throughout this Easter season, I hope that you will let your light shine, that you will be the one who's guiding others, leading others to Christ. And it's going to happen as you love. Listen, as you ask questions that Jesus did, you don't have to answer all the questions. This is the freeing thing. You're not on jeopardy. You don't have to have all the answers. You simply need to love. Jesus, in the end, he wasn't the answer man. He's the answer. He was more the great questioner. And we can do the same. I've learned that apologetics, really, in this new day, is not giving all the answers as much as it is asking the right questions. Extending grace, loving others. And here's the question I want to close with. You're sitting there, final jeopardy. This is it. It's a question from Jesus himself, Matthew 16. Verse 15, who do you say I am? That's the question for every one of us to answer. Who is the Savior? Who died on the cross for your sins? Who alone is the way to heaven? Who will be with you this week? Who is the one who answers your prayers? Who has set you free from the habits of sin in your life? Who is the one who has given you life and breath? And who will save you when you exhale one final time? and lead you into glory. He is the answer. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that you have been so clear to us in your word, through your teaching. We give you our lives. I pray for every person here who doesn't know you today. Maybe there's questions that they wouldn't leave this place without settling the most important question to answer it, to give their hearts to you. So Jesus, we thank you today that you are the answer. We place our lives in your hand. We rest in you. In your name we pray. And everyone said, 
Amen. Thank you for taking time to listen to this sermon. Come and join us as we seek to follow Jesus every day. We meet every Sunday at 9.15 a.m. for our small group Bible studies called Connect Groups and 10.45 a.m. for worship. We hope to see you soon at Park City's Baptist Church.